Hello and welcome to another episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis. And joining me in the studio this week is a very good friend of mine and um, a guy that I used to work with in radio. In fact, he was my program director. And one of the main reasons that I'm even here doing this podcast today and working full-time in voiceover, Les Sinclair. Welcome, my friend. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's great to have you. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I am very excited. So let's, let's roll. Excellent. <laughs> we talked about doing something like this for a long time uh, because it's been a while since I worked with you. I thought it would be really cool to do the podcast together because we've always wanted to work together again in some capacity. And so here we are. And when I asked you what movie or movies you wanted to talk about, you came up with Superman. We had our own little podcast without the recording device for for quite a little conversation, didn't we? Yeah, we started talking about uh, the different Superman movies. And I said, you know what? Let's stop talking about it. Let's wait for the podcast. (laughs) Right. We decided that we are going to cover the first two Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. They were shooting the second movie simultaneously with the first, but there was all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes. A lot of controversy. Did you get a chance to watch? I watched both of them, yeah. You told me to get the Richard Donner number two. Now, what the Richard Donner cut is, for those of you who may be fans of the Superman movies but haven't seen that, Richard Donner was the director that directed the first movie and at the same time was directing Superman 2. I think he got about 75% done with principal photography on Superman 2, and then he had a falling out with the producers and was fired. And then they brought in a second director to finish Superman 2. What ended up happening was that it became a whole different movie. And then there was a whole other lawsuit with Marlon Brando as well. He made a deal to receive part of the profits of the first movie. And then when he didn't feel like he was being paid fairly, he sued the producers. <laughs> Just a mess, right? Yeah. He was, he was not that big of a part of the movie, honestly. I know, but he was such a popular actor that he felt like he, he could demand that. So what ended up happening was when he sued the producers, that's why he wasn't in the second movie in the theatrical version. However, in the Richard Donner cut of the movie, they were able to make a deal with his family, with the estate, to use the footage that was shot of him. And it's a whole different movie. Oh, I got to see it now. Yeah, uh, my interest is so piqued. If you're a fan of, uh, of Superman 2, I thought Superman 2 was the, was the best one. I like Superman 2 as well, but it's funny watching it again. There was so much that I forgot about. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a cheesy movie. Now, you know, back in the 70s when it came out, it it was super technologically advanced. And it was like, oh, wow, look, they made him fly. And and now watching it, it's very antiquated and and kind of cheesy, honestly. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, compared to the the special effects of nowadays, you got to remember the original Superman movie was released December 15th, 1978. And the second one came out in 1980. But again, they were being filmed at the same time. So it's the same technology. Back then, they didn't really have a lot to work with. No, that's right. They had to cut out each of those individual cells and paste in the picture. I mean, it was laborious work. I'm sure it was. It it took a lot of time. They shot Superman from March 1977 to November 1978. In fact, they actually were filming during the infamous 1977 New York City blackout. And the New York Daily News was actually able to publish thanks to the film company's generators. So they came through in a big way for the Daily News. Nice. Three years in planning, almost two years in filming, uh, at the height of which there were over a thousand full-time crew members spread out over three studios in eight countries. Over a million feet of film was used. And at the time, it had the highest production budget of any movie ever made. So nowadays, a lot of stuff is done on computers. 
back then there was a lot of manpower. I didn't know that both those movies were being shot at the same time. And I think it was a rarity back then to have uh, the sequels, you know, and especially to plan in advance for a sequel. So that they did that was pretty smart, I think, on on the producer's part. Yeah. If you've scouted out locations and you know that there's going to be intertwining storylines. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only other time I remember hearing about them doing that kind of thing where they're shooting two movies at the same time was Back to the Future. I remember they shot the second and third Back to the Future movies at the same time. There is an interesting correlation there, too, about Steven Spielberg, right? Yes. Steven Spielberg was one of the people that they talked about directing the original Superman movie. But at the time, the producers thought that uh, he wanted too much money. And he really wasn't a proven director at that point. At, he, the only thing he had done was Jaws. Uh, the only thing. It turned out to be one of the biggest blockbusters ever. However, <laughs> yeah. at the time when they were deciding on who the director was going to be for this, uh, Jaws was not proven yet. It hadn't been released. The screenplay was written by a famous guy, too, Mario Puzo, who wrote The Godfather. There were several other people involved in the screenplay. David Newman, Leslie Newman, Robert Benton, and Tom Mankiewicz, who was actually uncredited. And that was a, a bone of contention for Richard Donner as well. He did so many rewrites that Donner thought that he should get uh, more credit than he did. What do you remember less about seeing these? I'm assuming that you saw these in the theater like me when I was a kid. I did. Yeah, indeed. Um, what I remember about seeing them was not what I remember about re-seeing them, which is really interesting. I don't remember the whole sequence at the beginning where the uh, three villains that end up in Superman 2 were actually part of Superman 1. I don't remember that as a kid at all. And re-watching it, I went, wow, that's incredible. I, how did they plan that in advance? And then you tell me that they're shooting both movies at the same time, and my, my mind is officially blown. At the end of Superman, there's a whole plot line where... Uh, Lex Luthor sends a couple of missiles to different locations and Superman has to save those locations. He takes one of the missiles and he throws it into outer space. The Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 starts with that sequence of Superman throwing the, the missile into outer space, destroying the Phantom Zone, freeing the supervillains. In the theatrical version of Superman 2, the way that, that he explodes the Phantom Zone and frees the three supervillains is totally different. Right, a hydrogen bomb that they had right. put on the Eiffel Tower. Right. That whole sequence is not in the Donner cut wow. of Superman 2. It's, totally it's different completely movie. eliminated. Yeah. And there's a couple of other differences, which I'll go over with you, too. But first, there were some other actors they had considered for the part of Superman. Yeah, talk a little bit about this, because this is fascinating to me, because the only person that I can see as Superman is Christopher Reeve. I know. And the interesting thing is that Christopher Reeve had only done one other movie on a soap opera at that point. I remember seeing him on that soap opera. He was such an unknown at that time that he was not even listed first in the credits. I mean, you think, well, the guy playing Superman should be first in the credits, right? Right. Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman were listed before him because they were bigger stars at the time. But some of the other actors, I mean, it's it's a who's who's list of actors that were popular back in the uh, in the 70s that were considered for the role. So Robert Redford, Clint Eastwood. I can't see either of those. I can't either. And James Caan were all offered the role. The funny thing about James Caan is that he turned it down because he said, there's no way I'm getting into that silly suit. <laughs> yeah. Well, his career is so much better. <laughs> Instead, he got his ankles broken in misery. Yeah, exactly. You were telling me about Marlon Brando had the ability to say no to, to the stars. Yeah, he vetoed a huge name that really wanted to play Superman and Clark Kent. Sylvester Stallone. That's amazing to me. I can't see that happening either, though. No, I don't really think that would have made a lot of sense, especially because he was so identified with Rocky by that time. It turned out that Stallone was a really big fan of Superman and really related to the, the story and the character and all that. And 
you know, he was kind of really annoyed with Brando because Brando was pretty vocal about saying, hey, I'm only taking this role for the paycheck. And um, the ironic thing is that uh, in his review of Rocky, Roger Ebert called Stallone the next Marlon Brando. So, But in my mind at that time, I can't think of anybody else who could have played him. For me, Superman has got to be big. He's got to be 6'4". He's got to be a tall guy. He's a Midwestern farm boy. He's a big guy, you know? And that's what I really liked about Christopher Reeve. I thought that he fit the part in my mind from the comic books and even the old TV show. Christopher Reeve, when he first uh, auditioned for the role, was not that big. He gained 42 pounds of muscle from the time he was cast until filming began. He underwent a bodybuilding regimen supervised by David Prowse. Oh, wow. Darth Vader. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think, you know, the thing that makes Christopher Reeve so great in these movies is not just his portrayal of Superman, but really Clark Kent. Yeah. He does such a convincing job of being a bumbling idiot as Clark Kent. You can almost believe that parting his hair on different sides. <laughs> and wearing the glasses. Yeah, it could confuse uh, Lois Lane and everybody else enough. One of the things you can also see about when he's Clark Kent, he hunches over, he brings himself down and acts real small. I got to tell you, though, personally, I was not a fan of that Clark Kent. I like the Clark Kent from the old Superman TV show. And even the guy who uh, played Clark uh, on in Lois and Clark, I thought he did a real good job of playing Clark Kent. Man of Steel, also a good normal guy who just didn't use his powers. Which Clark Kent is is the one in the comic books? Is he the bumbling guy like Christopher Reeve plays him? Or is he more like just a down-home Midwestern guy? I thought he was a very normal guy. I, I didn't get, I, that didn't come across to me. That didn't stick in my mind as Superman that Clark Kent was the bumbling sort of idiot and uncoordinated and not able to do things. I didn't get that at all from the comic books. There actually were some other people that were considered for some of the other parts. Tell me who they are. A couple of different actresses had screen tested for the role of Lois Lane and Archer, Michael Douglas's wife in Fatal Attraction. Right. She was also in uh, Presumed Innocent with uh, Harrison Ford. Dustin Hoffman turned down the part of Lex Luthor. Oh, well, I got to tell you, I think Gene Hackman did a masterful job. The one who played the original Lois Lane in the TV show actually made a cameo in Superman 1. She was on the train when young Clark Kent was running beside it. So that was the old Lois Lane. And I thought that was fantastic that they included her. I love when they do casting like that. That's cool. The guy who played Cliff, the postman on Cheers, he's in both Superman movies. He's a NASA guy. He's in Missile Command in uh, Superman 1, and he's a NASA guy in Superman 2. So John Ratzenberger is uh, is in Superman. I, I had no idea until I rewatched him. I'm like, hey, there's Cliff. So really quick, I just want to talk about some of the differences between the uh, theatrical Superman 2 and the Richard Donner cut. If you're a fan of Superman 2, get the Richard Donner cut. You can get it on Amazon. It's a whole different movie and it's a better movie because it makes more sense. Okay, so first off, uh, Superman throws the missile into outer space and that's what frees the three supervillains from the Phantom Zone. That makes a lot more sense than some convoluted bomb in the, the Eiffel Tower, right? Yes. In both releases, Superman gives up his powers because he wants to be with Lois Lane. He loves Lois Lane and he wants to be with her. Right. So uh, he goes to his Fortress of Solitude. In the theatrical release, he talks to his mother. And again, this is because Marlon Brando sued the producers and they couldn't use the footage they had shot with him. So they ended up uh, substituting uh, the actress who played his mother, Susanna York. So she comes and says, well, you know, you can't be with her unless you are one of them. And that's the whole reason he gives up his powers in that machine and all that kind of stuff. So... There's a whole sequence in that scene with Marlon Brando. That's amazing. 
it's a million times better. I got to see it now. You really do. It's really, it's, it's amazing. So Superman gives up his powers. First of all, let me just stop there a minute. How selfish is he to give up these powers for Lois Lane? I mean, no offense. Lois Lane, you know, she may be great and all, but you're Superman. I know. <laughs> yeah, you're Superman. You're going to give that all up. Maybe he's just tired of the grind. One of the things that they didn't go into, though, really was how he got his powers back, because they said, once this is done, it is unchangeable, yet somehow they changed it. In the Richard Donner cut, that's all explained. They show it all happened, too. Not only does it explain, but you actually see how he gets his powers back. That's amazing. I've got to see that part, because uh, there, there are so many holes that it leaves open that you just go, you, you know, you're left scratching your head. So in the theatrical release of Superman 2, Lois Lane is trying to prove that Clark Kent is Superman, so she jumps into Niagara Falls in a kind of a lame attempt to get him to change. That's different in Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. Instead of jumping into Niagara Falls, earlier in the movie, she jumps out of a window at the Daily Planet. Oh, no kidding. And then Superman runs with super speed through the office, papers are flying everywhere, and he saves her at street level uh, discreetly. Les, you remember how Lois finally discovers that Clark Kent is Superman in the version of Superman 2 you saw? He trips, he falls, his hand goes into the fire, and it's not burned. Lame. In the Donner cut, they actually use scenes from a screen test because they never got to shoot the actual scene for the film because Richard Donner was fired before they had a chance to. Richard Donner thought that scene was so pivotal that he shot that scene for the screen test. And what it was, was they're getting ready to go out for the night, you know, as the posing as the honeymoon couple. And she pulls a gun out and she says, you know, I realize I made a mistake. Instead of betting my life on it, I'm so convinced that you're Superman, I'm willing to bet your life. And he's like, Lois, what are you, crazy? And she shoots the gun and nothing happens. And then he goes, you realize if you were wrong, Clark Kent would have been dead. And she goes, no, not with blanks. <laughs> That's awesome. So when you were watching the movies again, did you notice any cool things? If you look in the office when he's having the discussion with Perry White, there's a picture of Bill Cosby hanging on the wall. And Bill Cosby got a lot of news now. <laughs> he doesn't need a super kiss to erase women's memories. <laughs> so Christopher Reeve had a couple of other parts in Superman. He supplied the voice of the Metropolis air traffic controller. He's heard on the radio just before the helicopter crash and during the Air Force One scene in the movie. And the other thing, too, which I didn't know, and I think this one's a little weird. Christopher Reeve dubbed all of Jeff East's dialogue. Uh, Jeff East was the, the actor that played the teenage version of Clark Kent in the movie. Apparently, their voices were so different that they thought that it would create a continuity issue. You sound different as a teenager. I noticed that right away. I'm, I, I thought, geez, he's, Christopher Reeve overdubbed that. And one of the things that are really... It brought to my attention that almost everybody in the movies, both of them, one and two, had been overdubbed. They did a lot of, I guess they call this in the movie industry, looping, where they, they shoot the scene and then they go into the studio to, to get the better quality. Almost the entire movie is overdubbed. I never noticed. Yeah, as, as I rewatched it, it really, well, that was the first thing I thought, well, boy, he sounds a lot like Christopher Reeve. I wonder how they did that. The shot where, where uh, the teenage... Clark Kent kicks the football into orbit. They fired the football from an underground air cannon to create that scene. Is that right? That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, that's very cool. Well, I love the way that they used um, in, in older movies like that. Instead of doing CGI, they always had to figure out a real world way to make it work. And I, I love that sort of technology. Calgary in Canada actually stood in for Kansas, too. The little baby, the toddler that you see when he comes, he comes out of the pod when um, the Kents discover him, was played by a kid at the time named Aaron Smolinski. Well, guess what? 
He was in Superman 3. He played a little boy waiting outside a photo booth while Clark Kent's changing into Superman. And he also played a communications officer in Man of Steel. Oh, no kidding. So full circle. Right. So the word Superman is not heard in the first movie until one hour and 33 minutes into the film. And I'm going to guess that Margot Kidder said that first. Uh, I think so. So, Les, do you have anything else that you want to talk about? Plot holes drive me mad, especially when there's something like the the Fortress of Solitude. He loses his powers. We don't find out how he gets them back, but then he gets the powers back from the other thing. There was another uh, plot line hole in Superman 2, and that's when the uh, three villains land on Earth, and they're out in the woods. And uh, the female picks up a snake. The snake bites her, and it hurts her, so she kills it. Well... How on earth did did the snake bite hurt her? Exactly. I noticed that too. On earth, that wouldn't have hurt her. And uh, another plot line was in Superman 2, when he leaves the Fortress of Solitude, he and Lois somehow get a car. They drive to the restaurant where he gets beat up and then he realizes he needs to go back to the Fortress of Solitude where he doesn't get back in the car and drive back. He walks miles and miles and miles in the snow and tries to hitchhike. Why didn't he just drive back? I guess Lois needed the car. Besides, where did he get the car? Jor-El's used car lot? (laughs) He just had it parked there just in case he wanted to drive home. In my conclusion of this whole thing, what I would say is that the movies of yesterday and today are two separate movies all together. You have to take them for what they're worth. I highly recommend watching uh, Superman 1 and Superman 2 with your kids because uh, they will laugh at the cheesy graphics. And <laughs> But it's just such a great story. And, and to watch it again, just phenomenal. I agree. We were very fortunate to grow up when we did. Yeah, we had heroes, darn it. Les, you have anything you want to plug? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, you can catch me. I'm on 10 to 2. On Z95.1, you can listen live. It's uh, um, today's variety kind of radio station. We play the music that picked you up, doggone it. And I'm also on from 4 to 6 on WINA. It's uh, an afternoon news magazine show. Both of those stream online, WINA.com or Z95.net. Excellent. Les, thanks so much for taking the time out and doing this with me. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to do it. It was a whole lot of fun. And if you have any thoughts or screen facts of your own about Superman and Superman 2, or if you want to throw me uh, any kind of information about Man of Steel, or if you want to just let me know that you think this podcast sucks, I don't care. Send me an email, screenfacts at yahoo.com. Also, please rate, comment, and subscribe, and check out my website, jasondavisvoice.com. Thanks so much for listening, and you can join me again next Wednesday for more Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Jason Davis.